Welcome to the Terrorist Therapist Show on Renegade Talk Radio with your host, Dr. Carroll. Though you may not realize that the ongoing threat of terrorism is affecting your life and that of your loved ones. Each week, Dr. Carroll analyzes the hottest topics in terror and helps you and your family reach your dreams despite living in a time of terror. Reading UK attack, terrorism, murder, psychosis, or homophobia? Welcome to the Terrorist Therapist Show. I'm Dr. Carol, a psychiatrist and your terrorist therapist. Well, we have an interesting puzzle. <laughs> and I'm going to be talking today about the recent attack in Reading in the UK, a knife attack by Kyrie Sadala. He is a 25-year-old Libyan migrant uh, or refugee in the UK. And um, each of these possibilities, terrorism, murder, psychosis, or homophobia, uh, have reasons behind them that could explain them as a motive for this triple stabbing. In fact, he killed three people. There were at least three people injured, and he was captured nearby and very quickly. Now, the three men who he killed were gay. They were very well loved. They were very, um, very there have been uh, stories coming out afterwards talking about them, and, and really, these were special guys. Um, so in a sense, you could say, well, what difference does the motive make? They're dead, you know, and yes, that's true. But on the other hand, what can we learn from this? There is always something that you can learn from a tragedy. Now, um, one question that we're going to be asking today is, could this have been prevented? Or are there too many terrorists and too many mentally ill to take care of them all? Another question today that you can be thinking about as I talk about this young man is uh, the fact that these things are not mutually exclusive. In other words, a person with mental illness, a person who has a criminal background, and a person who is homophobic can also be a terrorist. That's one of the things that has been a problem um, in the way that we look at these kinds of incidents, you know, that they are either a terrorist or they're mentally ill or they're this or that, when in fact we need to understand how these things can um, relate to each other. I have talked about in previous podcasts about how people who are mentally ill uh, are more vulnerable to becoming terrorists because, now, that, now I'm not saying that all 
I always have to stop myself because I'm thinking, what is the listener thinking? Are you thinking, did she just say that mentally ill people are terrorists? Well, no. As a psychiatrist, I would not say that all mentally ill people become terrorists. I am saying something uh, much more compassionate to the mentally ill, which is that they are more vulnerable to becoming radicalized because um, they are often ostracized in society and because they often will have hallucinations and will have difficulty telling reality from fantasy. And so the propaganda that terrorists put out are much more, um, it is much more likely that someone who is mentally ill will believe the propaganda. So what I'm saying is we just have to pay more attention to people who are mentally ill in terms of their vulnerability. Now criminals, of course, we know, are vulnerable to becoming terrorists because jails and prisons are hotbeds of radicalization. They may not have any kind of um, background ahead of time. They may not know anything about radical Islam. Uh, but when they're in prison or in jail and they're angry at society for putting them there and angry at society for the things in their background that caused them to commit crimes in the first place, like being abused, uh, being poor, um, all kinds of things that they're angry at society about, it's much easier to convince them to um, attack society. And um, so let's let's look at this uh, man, Kyrie Sadala, and analyze what, uh, his, what he has done in his young life, what has happened before this attack, and try to understand him better. First, um, let me give you some basics about the attack. This, was, this happened on June 20th, 2020, at around 7 o'clock at night, uh, UK time. A man with a knife um, came into the park, Forbury Gardens Park in Reading in the UK. And his knife has been described as being at least five inches. Um, and he has been described by witnesses as shouting unquote, unintelligible words. Now, did he shout Allahu Akbar? And so far, witnesses have not come forward to say that what the words were because of not wanting to seem, uh, to seem um, as if to, to not be racist, to not seem xenophobic. Um, or did they, or didn't, I mean, it's hard to believe, quite frankly, that nobody heard the words that this man uh, shouted because there were lots of people in the area that he went to. Um, but that is you know, left to be seen. There will probably be some witness come, who comes forward and says what he heard. This um, Reading is 40 miles west of London. And um, now what's interesting is, you know, some of the things that say that it's one thing or the other, and I'm gonna be telling you a whole bunch of different uh, pieces of information that relate to each of these potential motives. So, for example, in regard to terrorism, he was, he had come to the attention of 
Britain's security organizations. They had been looking at him, although he wasn't on a terrorist watch list at the time of this attack. Now, one thing that would suggest terrorism besides that is that he uh, stabbed the victims in the neck. And terrorists, of course, we know about beheadings, uh, and in general, terrorists attack the neck. Then psychosis, or well, let's go, uh, I said terrorism, murder, psychosis, or homophobia, murder is next. And he does have a criminal history, so perhaps he was just a criminal and he murdered people. He hadn't murdered anyone before, but he had committed violent crimes. Psychosis, he um, has been, has, was in a uh, psychiatric hospital, in fact, right before this crime. And homophobia, he told his friends that um, gay people weren't um, allowed in Libya and um, that, and you know, one has to wonder, is that the reason why he left Libya? Because of his own awareness of his own homophobia, of his own homosexual impulses. Although um, he did, when he got to Britain, there is information that he wanted to marry a Christian woman. He wanted to convert to Christianity to marry a Christian woman, but that never happened. Um, so, So also interesting is that at this park where the attack took place, there had been a Black Lives Matter protest, um, but police are quick to say that that wasn't associated with this crime. Now, you know, maybe it wasn't specifically, although one has to put the, this as a question mark, the fact that there is so much unrest in the country, I mean, not just in England, in the world, so much unrest, um, certainly in America, uh, and even in other places, there Black Lives Matter, there have been protests in many places. Um, and, you know, just in general, between coronavirus and the protests and the riots and so on, there's just a general sense of chaos in the world. And yes, does that pro provoke people who are mentally ill, people who are terrorists, actual uh, radical Islamist terrorists and so on, to act out? Yes, it does. Um, now, he had come to the United Kingdom from Libya in 2012. First, he lived in Manchester, and you'll remember that Manchester was the scene of the concert attack, um, the Ariana Grande attack, uh, and perhaps he was living there at that time. It's not clear. Um, he has been convicted six times for 15 crimes between 2015 and 2019. Not your <laughs> stand-up British citizen. Um, as I said, he came to the attention of Britain's domestic security agency, MI5, in 2019, over intelligence that he aspired to travel for extremist purposes. And so he was investigated about jihadist concerns, but never really put on the, on the watch list. Now, he was released from jail for crimes, um, criminal activity, uh, 17 days prior to the attack. And he was released from a psychiatric hospital three days prior to the attack. So um, he had, and, and he had been in jail when he was released 17 days, you know, what he was in jail for at that time 
was and sentenced for was for possessing a bladed article and assault. So really there were red flags waving around him for years. Um, and the three men, let me tell you their names. There was a 36 year old teacher at the Holt School, um, a, a 39 year old, well, I'll tell you their names in a bit. A 39-year-old American citizen who worked for a pharmaceutical company and had been living in Britain for 15 years, and a 49-year-old senior scientist at the chemical company. So um, let me tell you what a, how a witness described this. Um, well, you know what? <laughs> Gotten so into the story, I didn't realize I need to take a break. When, when we come back, I will describe the colorful way that witnesses described what happened in the park that night during the horrendous attack. So stay tuned. Welcome back to the Terrorist Therapist Show where we're talking today about the attack that occurred in Reading in the UK. Uh, terrorism, murder, psychosis, or homophobia. And uh, I will now tell you some interesting details how witnesses described the attack. Um, it, wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't the children's game, duck, duck, goose, but what was it? And that's what we're trying to figure out today. And really, uh, we're not, there, the investigation hasn't yet com been completed, but my point is that all of these things could have contributed and we need to get out of the idea of just thinking that a motive is one thing. All right, so one witness described it as, one lone person walked through, suddenly shouted some unintelligible words, here we have the unintelligible words again, and went around a large group of around 10, trying to stab them. He stabbed three of them severely in the neck and under the arms, and then turned and started running towards me, and we turned and started running. When he realized that he couldn't catch us, he tried to stab another group that was sitting down. He got one person in the back of the neck, and then when he realized everyone was starting to run, he ran out of the park. Another witness described it as this. Another man said, it looked like the attacker was tapping people on the head. Uh, I thought they were playing duck, duck, goose and thought someone had been sick. We realized it was blood spraying out. You know, the children's game, duck, 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 goose, where you tap people on the head and the goose has to, <laughs> is it, basically. Um, so let's look at the terrorism aspect of it, um, how that might have contributed as a motive. So um, he, uh, we're talking about Kairi Sadala, a Libyan refugee. And he um, had been ruled out as a possible terrorist twice in the past two years. Both PREVENT, which is a de-radicalization program in the UK, and MI5, a security service, uh, decided that this man was not worth investigation, at least not much of an investigation, and they didn't put him on the watch list. He was assessed twice. 
but he was deemed to pose no danger of staging an attack. Well, oops. <laughs> um, he had been referred to prevent the anti-radicalization the anti uh, government strategy and then MI5 in the past two years. Um, he, when this first happened, first they described it as a murder, then they held him on a terrorist um, uh, as a part, as, then they described it as a terrorist attack and have held him also on a terrorist charge or a terrorist um, way of holding someone to investigate them further. But they're still keeping an open mind as to the motivation. Um, here we go with the names, James Furlong, Joe Ritchie Bennett, and David Wallace, David Wales, I'm sorry. And they were friends and they were members of the LGBT community and they were having a picnic in the park at seven o'clock in the evening. What could be, you know, more calm and friendly and, you know, less, um, less consonant with such an attack? Um, he was, they, he was found to have no connection at, when they looked at him, uh, to a clear terrorist ideology, but he was found to have mental health needs and he was then granted asylum in the UK. Um, and they were investigating him as a person who might travel to either Libya or some other country for extremist reasons, but then they couldn't find, um, a reason to support that. Um, okay, now let me tell you about his mental health issues, which are plentiful. Um, he was allowed to leave a mental health unit in a psychiatric hospital three days before the attack. He had been hospitalized there after a drug binge when he was freed from jail. So first he was freed from jail. He then um, used some spice, uh, which is marijuana sprayed with mind altering chemicals. He was thought to be um, a spice addict. Now spice, marijuana can sometimes cause psychosis, but generally it does not unless the person is uh, pre genetically predisposed to psychosis, but the chemicals that are sprayed on um, marijuana uh, to create something called spice are very dangerous and they can cause psychosis, paranoia, hallucinations, and so on. So um, he had a binge on spice and when he got out of jail, and then he was put in a psychiatric hospital. And he's currently uh, in police custody. I just want to make sure I make that clear. Um, so he was hospitalized for a psychotic episode, a severe psychotic episode after this drug binge. And um, he, and he was released uh, three days before he went on this attack, and he wasn't sectioned. In other words, he wasn't um, kept in the hospital. He wasn't returned to the hospital involuntarily under what they call the Mental Health Act. Um, 
And so it's thought that he might have had another drug binge um, on spice or some other drug, and that that is what caused him to um, have another episode of psychosis and to uh, perpetrate this attack. So he was diagnosed, he's been diagnosed with a number of things, post-traumatic stress disorder. And again, he was in psychiatric hospitals more than once. This was not the first time. Uh, he has a whole mental health history in the hospital and as an outpatient. So he was diagnosed with several disorders, post-traumatic stress disorder from the war in Libya, from being exposed to that because he came uh, to the UK in 2012 seeking asylum. After, after there had been years of war in Libya. And also he's been diagnosed as having schizophrenia, as having an emotionally unstable personality disorder, as having depression. And then um, these mental uh, health issues led him into debt, alcohol and drug addiction and homelessness. But he was given a council flat, meaning an apartment paid for by the British government. Um, now, what's interesting is that he his caseworker, his mental health caseworker, said that he had serious mental health issues, that he needed help and treatment, but that this wasn't available in the community. They were trying to get him the help that he needed, but it was just not there. That's the point. That's what they're trying to say. Now, um, his family, of course, who is still in Libya, so he has some family in the UK, but his immediate family, mother and siblings, are in Libya still. And um, he is, they're claiming that uh, it's, it's the UK's fault that he has been let down by the system. You know, don't, they don't want to take responsibility for anything. Um, his mother said, uh, something somewhere has gone wrong. Yeah, like maybe in your raising him. And she's called for an investigation into her son's contact with mental health professionals before the attack. Now, it is true, quite frankly, as you will hear in a minute, that um, they should have returned him to the psychiatric hospital. So this attack occurred last Saturday, and on Friday, um, two days after he had been released from the hospital, he was released on a Wednesday, a specialist mental health team um, was asked to search for him after on a routine check of his home, he was not found. So they called out this specialist team who found him on Friday evening on a street in Reading, and they brought him back to his home uh, in this council flat, he didn't. Um, he, he didn't. Uh, they didn't take him back to the hospital. They brought him back to his home. Now, uh, clearly, he must have been showing some signs of mental illness when this special team found him, and yet they just returned him to his home. Um, so you know, obviously, this was a huge red flag that was missed. This team consisted of several police and psychiatric nurses. They're called a street triage team. And they're run, it's, these teams are run by the uh, police and the National Health Service. And so some, they, they um, went out looking for him after an alert was raised um, 
presumably by the people who came to check on him and found that he wasn't in his home. So, um, so, um, you know, there's, uh, I mean, this kind of leaves things open for um, the, although there isn't usually, there isn't as much suing going on in the UK as there is in America, still, um, one, there is a case for uh, the people, the families of the people who died against the National Health Service uh, for not recognizing that he was, that he had had a relapse and needed to be brought back into the hospital instead of just leaving him in his apartment. Um, and he had been before detained under the Mental Health Act. In other words, at a previous psychiatric hospitalization, they found they hospitalized him involuntarily uh, because of his condition. You know, people these days, uh, mental health professionals these days are so are so scared, so hesitant to um, hospitalize people against their will. And it really, the pendulum has swung way too far to that. You know, it, it used to be that um, this was because in the past years and years ago, um, it used to be that people were hospitalized against their will, perhaps some people too often. Uh, and so the pendulum has now swung to where they're not hospitalizing people who really need to be. There were other, there have been other terrorists who have uh, been let go. There was one who was hospitalized in a psychiatric hospital in, in uh, Alaska, who then perpetrated an attack in Florida, um, for example. So, you know, psychiatrists have to, <laughs> have to, uh, you know, stand up to this and, and stop being wimps. All right, at that, I will take another break. And we will, there's so much to tell you that's interesting about this man. I keep uh, going on and on. But anyway, we'll, we will take a break and we will come back and I will tell you more about his story. Welcome back to the Terrorist Therapist Show. Uh, we're talking today about Kyrie Sadala. He is the, there's no question that he is the one who perpetrated the attack in a peaceful park in Reading in the UK uh, on June 20th. And the question is terrorism, murder, psychosis, or homophobia? And I'm going to continue telling you um, aspects of his sto story that actually speak to each of these things. Um, And of course, one of the really sad, uh, perhaps the saddest part of the story is how there were so many red flags and this incident did not have to happen if um, the mental health professionals did their job. Um, because in there, in the, uh, they didn't bring him back to the psychiatric hospital, even though they saw him within 24 hours of when he uh, perpetrated the attack. He, and part of in his, um, in his notes, he was, not only did he have the various diagnoses that I told you about, but he was also deemed to be, quote, aggressive and unpredictable. <laughs> Duh, <laughs> that's true. Um, and uh, he had, now they knew that he had been in prison uh, right before he was in the psychiatric hospital this last time, and he had been in prison multiple times, and been in psychiatric hospitals multiple times. 
Um, and he had been known as a potential terrorist sympathizer as well. And, and when he came to Britain eight years ago, uh, he gave this story about, you know, claiming to be part of the war, uh, helping to overthrow the regime, being, he, would, he talked about being on different sides of the war. He even talked about being for ISIS and against ISIS. So he was looked at, but he was found to not be a terrorist or not put on the terrorist watch list in any case. Now, in regard to, so we talked about terrorism, murder, his criminal background, uh, psychosis, his, all his diagnoses and history, and then homophobia. Um, the officials have not ruled out homophobia as a possible motive. The three men who he attacked were gay. And um, he had a friend who told the UK Times that he would make homophobic comments. And he said that gay people were not accepted in Libya. And again, that kind of also brings up the possibility that maybe he was fighting homosexual impulses in himself and knew that he wouldn't be accepted in Libya as part of the reason for why he left Libya. Um, now, this is, it's always fascinating to, uh, to, to hear what the family says, right? So, of course, the media contacted his family, who, his immediate family who live in Libya. They happen to live in a very comfortable three-story home. It's not that he came from poverty uh, in Libya. And um, his family was shocked, aren't they all? His brother and sister said they were, quote, shocked and surprised. Uh, his brother, Mohammed Sadala, said uh, that he, he last spoke to, to Kyrie, the um, killer, uh, the night before the attacks. And his brother said that he sounded sad and alone, maybe depressed. Now, his brother also said before he left Libya, he had a mental condition after the terrible war. So he already had a mental condition before he left Libya. And, um, you know, and this continued. He was a help, helpful person. He likes to help people and he gives the old people a hand. He was a volunteer in a charity here in Libya and in the United Kingdom. He likes to wear fashion. These are all things that his brother said about him. He likes to wear fashion, Western fashion, and take pictures of himself. He goes to the park from time to time. He's a normal person that loves life. He loves Western fashion, clothes, loves Western routine. He likes to enjoy the pub. <laughs> he likes to enjoy pictures. He likes to go to the sea. Uh, and his sister said, I'm not proud of what happened. I'm deeply sorry for the families, the victims, I'm really sorry for Kyrie too, who has suffered for all this. She added, her family believes that Kyrie's a lovely boy who loves life. He liked dancing, singing, smoking, drinking. You know, he's a normal person. Uh, Libya is his homeland, but the United Kingdom is his country, his sister said. Um, and then he, they have family in other parts of England and, um, you know, I mean, that's kind of a typical thing. I mean, you know, you wonder how much mental health help 
he got in Libya, probably not much. Um, I'm sure he got more in the UK than he got in Libya. But, um, and yes, it's very sad. Obviously, if he had gotten enough um, mental health help, particularly the night before, you know, when they saw him, if he had been brought back to the hospital, this wouldn't have happened. Um, unless he really is a terrorist and it would have happened at any time in the future. Um, let's see. So let me, I have some other interesting comments. Um, now, he, he, there is, there are some terror links, you know, very vague kinds of things, but um, his quote terror links unquote were officially logged months ago when he was doing time in prison uh, in the UK and where he was said to have boasted within the earshot of staff that he had fought for and against ISIS. So they informed the intelligence services and uh, that's when he was referred to the Prevent Deradicalization Program, but the Prevent officials took no, no action, and he was released from jail, as I said, 16 or 17 days before the knifing attack. Um, and again, his mother in Tripoli said, if he's a terrorist, then England made him a terrorist. So, um, oh, let me tell you about what some people said about, well, first of all, he worked during the summer, or not worked, he volunteered during the summer of 2018 at the Wycliffe Baptist Church on King's Road in Reading, where he was found to be a very helpful guy. <laughs> um, the operations manager at the church said he was not a member of the congregation, but he helped with jobs like stacking chairs and cooking meals for churchgoers. He volunteered between June and September of 2018. He wouldn't come every day, but he came from time to time and helped the operations manager, who said he worked quietly and didn't express any political ideas or talk about his background, and they didn't talk about religion. He said, I cannot comment on what faith he had. But as I mentioned earlier, um, he there are reports that he was thinking of converting to um, Christianity to marry a woman who he had met who was Christian. His family did not like that idea, however. So, you know, what do we really know about his family and about their, uh, whether they had radical Islamist leanings? Nothing yet about that. Um, if more comes out that is uh, interesting and relevant, Later on, when he is tried, I will um, incorporate that into a future podcast. But right now, I'm telling you about everything that is known up to this time. Now, um, at the time that he was arrested, he was living in this in these flats, as I mentioned, and um, and the uh, one of the people who lived in the flat um, said that um, Sadala moved in about a year ago. He had mental health issues. He said he saw him on Saturday morning, which is just 
hours before the attack, which as you will remember, occurred at around seven o'clock. And this uh, neighbor said he seemed his normal self. I just said, hello. Um, now, you know, these people are not mental health professionals. And he just said, hello. He didn't have a long conversation with him. Similarly, another neighbor said, um, that he met this, he met uh, Sadala a few weeks ago, and he said he was so normal. I never would have expected this. He'd just chat like a normal person. He wouldn't beat around the bush. <laughs> normal. Uh, what's that supposed to mean? <laughs> You're normal or not normal if you beat around the bush? <laughs> I know lots of um, people who are normal and not normal who beat around the bush. In any case, um, the police are still considering all of these different possibilities. Terrorism, simply murder, uh, psychosis, and homophobia. And the lesson that the UK um, is learning from this, that the Home Secretary talked about, is that um, they should speed up the deportation of foreign criminals. So they are vowing to speed up the deportation of foreign criminals. And then um, a top counter-terror police officer said that this is a wicked problem, deciding which of the 40,000 known threats could launch a terror attack. And that goes back to something that I said at the beginning. You know, could it have been prevented? Or are there too many terrorists and too many mentally ill to take care of them all? Well, I'll leave you with that as I say thank you for listening to The Terrorist Therapist Show. I'm Dr. Carol, your terrorist therapist. If you would like to find out more about terrorism from me, your terrorist therapist, visit my website, terroristtherapist.com. And if you're a parent or teacher and want to build stronger nests for your kids to become more resilient, check out my new award-winning book, Lions and Tigers and Terrorists, Oh My, How to Protect Your Child in a Time of Terror. It's the first and only book about terrorism for kids. You can find it wherever books are sold or directly from the publisher at terrorismforkids.com. Terrorism, the number four, kids.com. I'm Dr. Carol, your terrorist therapist. Thank you for listening to The Terrorist Therapist Show on Renegade Talk Radio with your host, Dr. Carol. We hope listening to the show has made you feel calmer, more resilient, and more able to reach your dreams despite living in a time of terror. You can also check out past shows on Renegade Talk Archives for more insights.